Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our podcast series dedicated to exploring the Mumbai blasts of 1993. If you missed our previous episodes, here is a short recap. We had a brief overview of the social and political milieu of Bombay along with its complex inter-community relations during the period spanning from December 1992 to the first week of February 1993. In today's episode, we will be delving into the shadowy world of the Mumbai underworld, examining the emergence of various mafia groups, their rise to power, and the intense rivalries that existed between them. We will also be discussing their involvement in the ensuing riots and terror attacks that rocked the city to its core in the year 1993. Mumbai a dreamer's paradise. Mumbai, the capital city of Maharashtra, is a major financial hub situated on a cluster of islands that were once inhabited by fishing communities belonging to the Koli tribe. Over time, the city has expanded and the seven islands have been connected by roads and bridges with some areas reclaimed from the sea. The northern suburbs of Sopara and Kalyan were major seaports more than 2000 years ago. On the 12th of March 1993, the people of Mumbai went about their day unaware of the events that would soon unfold. The city's 13 million inhabitants woke up to another hot day with temperatures already reaching 32 degrees Celsius and relative humidity at 72% despite the heat. A large percentage of office goers made their way to the fort area in South Mumbai, the commercial heart of the city. It is home to the headquarters of several banks, including the Reserve Bank of India and large corporate houses along with the Bombay Stock Exchange, the oldest stock exchange in Asia. Every day, business worth hundreds of crores is transacted at the BSE. As usual, work continued on Dalal Street, often referred to as Mumbai's Wall Street, despite the sweltering heat. The trading ring on the BSE's first floor was packed with about 4000 people as the last half hour of trading commenced at 1 p.m. A warning bell rang, signaling the end of trading, with a second bell set to sound half an hour later to mark the close of the trading day. By this time, most people would have left. Terror unfolded in Mumbai suburb on 12th March 1993. At 1:28 p.m., the bustling streets were suddenly filled with a deafening boom as a bomb exploded in the Bank of Baroda branch on the ground floor. The resulting blast was felt up to a radius of 300 meters and shattered window panes up to the 10th floor. The scene transformed from a familiar one to the unimaginable as the sound carried over the busy hum of traffic. Amidst the chaos and panic, the lifts were still running and the stairways were intact. Survivors rushed to safety, resulting in a stampede that claimed several lives. Some people on the 7th floor even resorted to sliding down the drainage pipes to escape. Sadly, 84 people lost their lives in the blast while 217 others were injured. Deputy Commissioner of Police Chandrashekhar Rokde, the officer in charge of Zone 1, was attending to a legal proceeding in the Bombay High Court that afternoon when he heard the distant rumble. Initially, he thought it was caused by Shiv Sainik's assembled in strength at the court premises, but then his walkie-talkie crackled to life and announced the blast in the share market. Dr. P. S. Pasricha, a 1970 batch retired IPS officer 
who was posted in Mumbai in those days recollects how he got the details of the first blast that day. अपने ऑफिस में दो चार लोगों के साथ कोई प्लान बना रहा था तो उसी टाइम मुझे एक मैसेज आया कि ये जो स्टॉक एक्सचेंज मार्केट है उसके बाजू में कोई बम फटा है कुछ ये नहीं पता कि सिलेंडर फटा या बम फटा है चाय पीने ही जा रहा था मीटिंग के टाइम की एक और मैसेज आ गया कि साहब एक और बम फटा है एयर इंडिया के इधर और विद दो मिनट में मैसेज आ गया कि सेंचुरी बाजार के पास भी बहुत बड़ा धमाका हुआ फिर तो मैसेज आने शुरू हो गए मेन वाइल बॉम्बे पुलिस कमिश्नर अमरजीत सिंह सामरा हैड जस्ट बिगन इज लंच एट द बॉम्बे पुलिस कमिश्न रेड बिल्डिंग नियर क्रॉफर्ड मार्केट वेन द न्यूज ऑफ द ब्लास्ट गॉट ऑन एयर ऑन द पुलिस वायरलेस हिस्स पर्सनल असिस्टेंट एंड लीज ऑन ऑफिसर रश्ड इन टू इन्फॉर्म हिम ऑफ द डिवेलपमेंट Samra immediately called his joint commissioner of police Mahesh Narayan Singh and passed instructions to keep him posted on the development. It took 25 minutes for Shri M N Singh to reach the scene of devastation and by then crowds had gathered in a manner that only an immense calamity could summon. Mangled cars with shattered windscreens, blobs of blood in horrifying patterns on the walls and reverberating moans of the injured greeted Mr M N Singh. as he entered the building's basement the police at the scene had until then concentrated on keeping the curious onlookers at bay under mr singh's supervision rescue teams were organized and arrangements were made to transport the survivors to hospitals blue uniformed fire brigade personnel and green clad bomb squad members moved about with amazing agility looking for survivors the city's chief fire officer durgadas kulkarni had reached the spot and began to coordinate his mains work the injured and the dead were transported to the three nearby hospitals gt hospital corporation run st george hospital and the jj hospital a series of bomb blasts had ripped through the city on 12th march 1993 killing over 250 people and injuring more than 700 the attacks targeted crowded areas such as markets business districts and transportation hubs leaving the city in chaos and panic the hospitals in the city lacked disaster management strategies and found it enormously difficult to cope with the sudden influx of grievously injured patients the dead were dumped on the floor of the casualty ward while those alive were propped up against the walls next to them faced with such an immense task the staff had no idea where to begin The first bomb went off at 2:15 p.m. in Bombay's largest wholesale market for grains and spices, Narsi Natha Street, near Masjid Bunda. The explosion occurred in one of the most congested areas of Mumbai, where trucks, handcarts, and pedestrians jostled for space in a narrow street. The blast killed 5 people and injured 16 others. The second blast occurred just 10 minutes later. At 2:25 p.m. in the portico of the high-rise Air India building near Nariman Point, South Bombay's elite business district where major international companies, foreign banks, and consulates are located. The explosion killed 20 people and injured 87 others. News of the third blast caused panic as wild rumors began to circulate. There had been an invasion from across the seas, some insisted Others claimed with equal conviction that the top brass of the Shiv Sena was being killed. Overburdened telephone lines jammed, heightening the chaos. 
office workers spilled onto the streets, heading for Churchgate and VT, the city's two main railway hubs. Policemen were not immune to panic. The city was on the run. At 2.30 p.m., a blast shook Lucky Petrol Pump adjacent to Sena Bhavan at Dadar. Bhavan is the headquarters of the Shiv Sena, the party that was widely held responsible for communal riots in the media and the press. Four people died and 50 got injured in the explosion. This blast also seemed to indicate the communal designs of the bombers. As irate Shiv Sanik spilled on the streets, the situation looked perilously close to spinning out of control. The deadliest of the blasts occurred at 2.55 p.m. when a bomb seemed to go off in a crowded double-decker best bus outside the regional passport office at Worley. It was so powerful that the five-tone bus was lifted up in the air, and its upper deck was blown into the hutment colony of Nehru Nagar. There were no survivors on board. The body of the driver was hurtled across the road into the colony. On the road, a deep crater marked the spot where the bomb had exploded. This blast was the deadliest as it killed 113 people and injured 227. The terrorist design seemed to have failed as Sena Bhavan was unharmed, but the impact on the city was catastrophic. The attacks left Mumbai reeling, and the aftermath revealed a complex web of political and religious tensions that had fueled the violence. Stay tuned in this episode, as we delve deeper into the events of that fateful day and the impact it had on Mumbai and India as a whole. Imagine you're walking down the street with your family when suddenly, a deafening blast rocks the ground beneath you. Chaos ensues as buildings crumble, cars explode and people scream in terror. This is the scene that unfolded in Mumbai on 12th March 1993 when a series of bomb blasts ripped through the city. In the heart of Bombay, the then-governor, P.C. Alexander, received the news on blasts. But with telephone lines down, he had to resort to sending a message to city CP Samra through the police control room. Meanwhile, Samra's first thought upon hearing the news was the possibility of communal violence erupting again, and so he ordered every policeman on duty that day to come out onto the roads to prevent it. As chaos reigned in the streets, senior police inspector Rokde received news of a blast in Zaviri Bazaar and a gold market within his jurisdiction. He rushed to the scene, only to find destruction and devastation. One man, Nivas Garge, was walking with his family when the blast occurred. His wife was badly burned, and he could not find his son. Despite his efforts to save them, his wife ultimately died in the hospital. We bring to you the recollections of a few blast victims who suffered on that fateful day. Stock exchange के बाहर road के ऊपर था और अचानक धमाका हुआ और मैं उड़ गया और उसमें मैं unconscious होने के बाद जब भी conscious आया तभी मैंने देखा कि मेरा already right hand जो है 95 percent निकल चुका था ये जो right side का जो गाल है वो भी 90 stitching उसके ऊपर है आज के date में और बहुत पूरा खड़ा था कान निकल चुका था lungs फट गए थे ribs टूट गई थी और पूरा right side का जो body था वो damaged था और more than 40 operations होने के बाद आज मैं आपके सामने हूँ. 
1993 के टाइम मैं सिर्फ 13 साल का था और जब ही मेरी माँ गुजर गई वो भी सेंचुरी बाजार के बॉम्ब स्पोर्ट में तभी 13 मार्च को सुबह साढ़े नौ बजे जब ही एम्बुलेंस घर पे आई तो मुझे ऐसा लगा था कि मैं माँ को देखूँगा तो जब ही ऐसा लगता है एक छोटे लड़के को कि अपनी माँ तो गुजर गई है मगर हर एक पल हमें उसका चेहरा अपने दिमाग में कैप्चर करना था मगर बहुत ही उल्टा हुआ था कि हमें सिर्फ और सिर्फ शरीर के टुकड़े देखने मिले थे और ये आज तक मैं ना कभी भूला हूँ और ना कभी भूलूंगा As the news of the blast spread, additional CP Yadvarao Chinda Pawar and DCP Rakesh Maryawa at their office above the Matunga Police Station trying to make sense of the prevailing chaos. In the aftermath of the blasts, the city of Mumbai was forever changed and the memories of that fateful day remain with those who lived through it. Join us as we delve into the events of the 1993 Mumbai bombings and the impact they had on the city and its people. टाइगर मेमन का पर्सनल लॉस हुआ था उनका भाई का दुकान जो है माहिम में वो शिवसेन लोगों ने जलाया तो उसका एक पर्सनल एजेंडा था उसमें तो टाइगर मेमन दाऊद इब्राहिम और दूसरे भी जो उनके लोग हैं आईएसए के साथ में मिलके एक बहुत बड़ा एक प्लान रचाया उन लोग ने कि बॉम्बे में बॉम्ब ब्लास्ट करने का एक्चुअल कॉन्स्परेसी जो दुबई में हुई थी जिसमें दाऊद के साथ में दाऊद के साथ में टाइगर मेमन था और दाऊद टकलिया था और बाकी और भी लोग थे थोड़े पाकिस्तान के लोग थे टाइगर मेमन जो तय करके आया था जो दाऊद से हुकुम लेके आया था उसके उसकी जो अमल बजाव नहीं करना था इम्प्लीमेंटेशन जो करना था वो ब्रेन याकूब का है और हाथ टाइगर मेमन के इमेजिन डे इन बॉम्बे डिवाइडेड इंटू फोर रीजन एंड टेन जोन फॉर पुलिस एडमिनिस्ट्रेशन इट्स and the city was still reeling from the aftermath of a series of bomb blasts that rocked its core two officers maria and pavar were on the front lines working to prevent a communal riot from breaking out amid the chaos maria headed to sena bhavan a sensitive spot under his jurisdiction where crowds had started anti-muslim sloganeering armed with his imposing 6 feet to inches frame maria walked up to the mob's leader and convinces him that the blast was part of a larger conspiracy it walked and the crowd slowly dispersed meanwhile additional cp pawar had been delayed in traffic and heard a loud bang as he approached the plaza cinema he quickly realized that an explosion had devastated the building killing 10 and injuring 37 as he worked to guide the rescue effort he received news of muslims being attacked in mahin followed by a grenade attack at a predominantly hindu fisherman's colony as tensions rose and angry fishermen took to the streets pawar faced a dilemma he is a firm believer in the efficacy of lathi charge in certain situations but he was hesitant to use it on victims of the attack maria on the other hand was faced with a mob attacking a bus and beating up an old man despite being undeterred by his uniform Maria pulled out his service revolver and fired into the air, scattering the attackers and saving the victim. Through their efforts, Maria and Pawar prevent a communal riot from breaking out that day. It's a testament to the bravery and dedication of the entire police force, many of whom worked for more than 48 hours without sleep. As the police commissioner later acknowledged in a letter, 
Pawal and Maria were the heroes of the day. After the blast at Worli, there were five more explosions, all of which took place at intervals of approximately 10 minutes. The Zaveri Bazaar bomb went off at 3:05 p.m. Plaza Cinema crumbled at 3:13 p.m. and then the dance of death continued in the suburbs. It seemed that all of Bombay had been put on a fast-burning fuse on that fateful day. As the news of the blast spread, senior police officials, including Arup Patnaik, DCP of Zone 7, were called to action. Patnaik arrived at the high-rise hotel C Rock in Bandra, which had suffered significant damage, with one wing of the hotel collapsing. Within a short period, there were reports of five more explosions in different locations in his jurisdiction. The explosions seemed to have been planned with metronomic precision at short intervals, leaving the city in a state of shock. Mr. Dinanath, a shopkeeper having a shop near Centaur Hotel, describes his experience of that fateful day. In the 40 minutes, there was a bomb blast. At that time, about 15 minutes, there was a darkness. हमने क्या सोचा कि इधर सामने होटल में काम चल रहा है यहाँ से कुछ छूटा होगा बाद में मुझे पता चला कि यहाँ बम ब्लास्ट हुआ द लैक ऑफ इंफ्रास्ट्रक्चर टू टैकल द क्राइसिस वॉज एक्सपोज एज द हॉस्पिटल वेर द इंजर्ड वेकन वनेबल टू कोप विदिट्यूड ऑफ द क्राइसिस फायर चीफ दुर्गादास कुलकर्णी लैमेंटेड दैट ही हैड ओनली वन थाउजेंड फाइव हंड्रेड फायरमैन एंड फोर्टी फाइव फायर इंजिन टू डील विद सच अ क्राइसिस The hospitals were also inadequate for the needs of the 138 people admitted with 45 of the victims later succumbing to injuries. As rumors of the blast spread, the government news agencies were not immune. Doordarshan the sole government run Indian television channel reported that the Bivail Nair hospital was damaged in a blast while the BBC reported that around 700 to 800 people had been killed. a figure that was later dismissed by the then chief minister shri sharat pawar subsequent police investigations revealed that 257 people were either killed or went missing in the blasts while 713 were injured and property worth 27 crore rupees was destroyed the conspiracy behind the blasts was later revealed to have been a proxy war with plastic explosives being used instead of gelatin Senior police officers were still working through the night to secure the city with the army and the state reserve police force being deployed on the roads. The serial bombing was a chilling reminder of the recent car bomb blast in the basement of the World Trade Center in New York and the bomb blast in the Panam flight over Lockerbie in 1991. The then Bombay police commissioner Mr. Amarjeet Singh Samra recollects the time in Bombay and says गुनेगार तत्व के लोग थे उन्होंने उस फीलिंग को जो कानूनल फीलिंग थी उसको यूज़ किया और इसमें खासे गुनेगार जो थे उन्होंने अपना मौके का फ़ायदा लिया कुछ दूसरे देश जो थे जो अपने देश की तरक्की नहीं चाहते थे उन्होंने उस मौके का फ़ायदा लिया इन दिस पॉडकास्ट वी टेक अ डीप डाइव इन टू दॉम्बे बॉम्बिंग एक्सप्लोरिंग दिवेंट्स लीडिंग अप्लास्ट दफ्टर मैथ and the impact it had on the city and the nation we also look at the conspiracy behind the bombings and the efforts made to bring the perpetrators to justice remain tuned in 
as we unravel one of the most significant terrorist attacks in Indian history. Maimoun family and the conspiracy of terror in Dubai. Bombay had witnessed a spells of rioting from the 6th to 12th of December 1992 and from the 7th to 16th of January 93 in which 900 people had died and 2036 people were injured. The loss of property was incalculable. Some 50,000 people were rendered homeless. Meanwhile, in Dubai, a postman delivered a packet to Dawood's place, a notorious crime lord. The packets had arrived from Bombay and contained a cryptic message rebuking Dawood for his inaction and failure to protect his community. This was a bitter humiliation for Don, who longed to return to Bombay but knew that he would be arrested as soon as he landed. As Dawood pondered over the message, his confidant, Chota Shakil, received a phone call informing him about a lost consignment. The conversation that followed changed Dawood's demeanor and he became resolute. He walked over to Shakil and told him that they had called. Although he never revealed who they were, it is believed that they were his contacts in the Pakistani intelligence agency, the ISI. They had offered him a business deal that involved landing something important in Bombay through his smuggling infrastructure. In exchange, they promised total security for Dawood's business. The cargo this time was not ordinary stuff like gold biscuits or silver ingots but was something meant as retribution for the demolition of the Babri Masjid and the massacre of Muslims in the riots. Although Dawood did not say it in so many words, it was clear that the cargo would be dead. Stay tuned as we delve deeper into the murky world of organized crime and uncover the secrets of the infamous Dawood Ibrahim and Tiger Maimoun. In the early 1990s, simmering resentment had spread like wildfire throughout the Islamic world after the Babri Masjid in Hukumatul Hindustan was demolished. From the Kawa Khanas and the tea joints in Iran to mosques in Jordan and maktabs in Syria, people talked about avenging the incident. Plans were made, strategies suggested, and slush funds created to fund the movement of revenge. In the midst of this, Mushtaq Maimoun, a gold carrier, rose to prominence by ferrying smuggled gold biscuits. He soon became the head of smuggling operations from Bombay, much to the dismay of his previous bosses. Mushtaq's rise led to the Maimoun's newfound wealth and a comfortable life in the Al Husseini building in Mahim. But Mushtaq's world had been turned upside down during the December riots when his office was set ablaze. ये आदमी आसपास से जा रहे थे इधर से और वो लोग कोशिश कर रहे थे कि ये ऑफिस जला डाले तो उनको रुकावट किया गया क्योंकि हम लोग भी साथ में इधर ही रहते हैं तो अगर बिल्डिंग जल जाएगी तो हम लोग का भी कि हम लोग का भी घर भी हम लोग का भी दुकान वगैरह वो सब यू नो इट ऑल गेट बंड तो इस कारण से वी स्टॉप दम फ्रॉम बर्निंग द प्लेस सो आफ्टर सम टाइम देन वी वेंट अवे फ्रॉम योर एंड देन इन द मेन टाइम वो मॉब आ गई और उनका सारा वो ऑफिस जला दिया फिर जलाने के बाद में फिर हम लोग नीचे जब आ गए इधर चेक करने को तो ऑफिस जल चुकी थी फीलिंग हेल्पलेस फॉर द फर्स्ट टाइम ही फाउंड हिमसेल्फ इन दुबई वेयर ही मेट टॉफिक जलियावाला फ्रॉम पाकिस्तान एंड अदर नोटोरियस फिगर्स टुगेदर 
they plotted retribution against an entire Indian nation. As the group discussed their plan, Tawfiq became enraged when no one came up with a viable solution. Suggestions had ranged from killing top leadership in India to ramming an explosive laden vehicle into a vital installation in Mumbai. However, Tiger Maimon had a different idea. He suggested displaying the group's might and power in Mumbai, the financial nerve center of India, and a place where Muslims had suffered during the riots. Any attack on Mumbai would have international repercussions, shaking the Indian government and shocking world leaders. Financing such a large-scale operation was a concern, but Tawfiq reassured everyone that money was not a problem. With proper planning, Tiger argued, the CI had toppled governments and taken over countries. They needed to disrupt just one city, and he already had a network in place. The group grew animated as their plan began to take shape. The then additional CPYC Pawar, who was 52 years in age and had actively worked with Rakesh Maria in cracking the case, recollects that fateful day. हमारा तो नसीब अच्छा था यानी पुलिस का और देश का भाग्य अच्छा था क्योंकि वो एक रोबीना मेमन का गाड़ी का ओनरशिप का एक जेरोस आरसी बुक का जेरोस कॉपी उसमें नहीं रहता तो शायद मेमन के घर के तरफ हम जाते के नहीं ये भी डाउटफुल था वो मैड्रेस के ऊपर उसकी घर की तरह से लिया गया तो एक चाबी मिला जो स्कूटर का था जो आरडीएक्स भरा हुआ जो दादर स्टेशन के बाहर मिला था उसकी चाबी वो मिल गई सर्च में और तीसरा ये इम्पोर्टेंट डॉक्यूमेंट और दो चीज़ें इम्पोर्टेंट मिली कि वहाँ पर छठे माले पर खाना आधा छोड़ के लोग भागे हुए थे और कीचड़ जैसा ऐसा कीचड़ में पाव डालते हैं तो थोड़ा साइड में कीचड़ हो जाता है थोड़ा सूखा जैसा रहता है मामूली आता है बाहर ज़्यादा नहीं आता है तो वैसे कीचड़ जैसा थोड़ा सा मटेरियल मिल गया था जिसका सस्पेक्ट हमको कि ये आर हो सकता है इसलिए वो जब्त किया गया था और श्योर इनफ एनालिसिस में वो आर निकला प्रिपरेशन एंड कोऑर्डिनेशन फॉर डी डे सोर्सिंग एक्सप्लोसिव शिपमेंट एंड स्टोरेज देर वर टू इनिशियल फेजेस इन द कॉम्प्लेक्स रिट्रीब्यूशन ऑपरेशन द फर्स्ट बींग टू सिक्योर आर्म्स एंड आर्मेंट्स एंड ट्रांसपोर्ट दैम टू बॉम्बे and the second to recruit muslim youth from bombay and train them to carry out the bombings tiger maimon was the only one with the leadership skills and contacts necessary to find the youth train them brief them and lead them throughout the mission he also had plenty of experience in smuggling goods to bombay and had a well established network of trusted landing agents one such agent was davood fansi also called Dawood Takalya because of his bald pate. Fanse had an unchallenged hold in the dozen or so landing points in Shekri and Digi, two coastal villages situated in a rocky part of the Maharashtra coast. These spots were regarded as gold mines for smugglers, and Fanse had consolidated his position by forming a cartel with two other powerful agents of the region. Since the late 1980s, the trio were involved in landing silver ingots and other goods for Dawood Ibrahim and later for Tiger Maimon. On 15th January 1993, Fanse was summoned by Tiger and asked to personally handle a landing operation involving some extremely important and sensitive goods shipped from Dubai that would land at Masla. He was told that the consignment belonged to Dawood Ibrahim. 
Fonse confirmed the task from Dawood during his visit to Dubai and thereafter got on to the job assigned to him. On his enquiry about the nature of goods, Dawood Ibrahim assured him saying that some chemical was being shipped and he was to land the consignment safely on the shores of Mumbai. Dawood's personal assurance was sufficient for Fonse and he returned to Bombay after meeting Dawood and described the meeting to his partners Parkar and Londriwala. The trio pledged support to Tiger in their assigned task of facilitating a landing of chemicals at Masla Sheikh Hadi. Subsequently, Tiger met the three agents and informed them that the goods were supposed to land at Sheikh Hadi at the end of the month or early the following month. But as the golden aphorism of the underworld goes, anything known to more than two is no longer a secret. There are hundreds of khabris operating in Bombay who straddle the two worlds of underworld gangs and law enforcement agencies. The Directorate of Revenue Intelligence received specific input that between the 21st and 24th of January, Tiger Maimon and Mohammad Dosa were likely to organize a landing of arms and explosives at Rohini and Digi, two of the many landing spots in Raigarh. Our story today takes us through the intricate details of how these smugglers operated, how they secured information, and how they executed their plans. Stay tuned for more on this intriguing story from the Bombay underworld. In the weeks leading up to the bombings, there were several tip-offs about an arms landing that would take place in one of the coastal points of Raigarh. The intelligence came from various sources including the intelligence bureau and the collector of customs SK Bharadwaj who alerted the police and the navy Despite the alerts the landing of arms occurred on 3rd February 1993 at Shekri village Davud's men had arranged for the cooperation of various customs officials and police personnel in Shrivardhan and Masla promising them financial incentives for their help On the night of the landing Davud's men assembled at Hotel Big Splash where they were given instructions on what to do. They then drove for 4 hours to Shekli where they were joined by 30 more men from the village. A motorboat arrived at the shore and after a brief exchange Davud's men boarded the boat and sailed out to sea. They rendezvoused with a larger speedboat from which they unloaded around 80 cartons of weapons and ammunition. Davud's men then traveled to the Vangni Telecom Tower where they unloaded and unpacked the weapons and ammunition including AK56 rifles hand grenades automatic pistols and rounds of ammunition they also discovered large quantities of RDX a highly explosive material which they loaded into a tempo meanwhile customs officials were keeping vigil and had been alerted to the possibility of an arms landing but they were unable to prevent it it remains unclear whether the false alerts were deliberately issued to confuse and tire out the customs officials or whether there was a genuine delay in the delivery the 1993 mumbai bombings were a tragic event that had far reaching consequences the bombings were a wake up call for india's security agencies prompting them to strengthen their intelligence gathering capabilities and take steps to prevent such incidents from happening again. In the upcoming episode, we will delve further into the intricate conspiracy and preparations orchestrated by Tiger and his accomplices leading up to the Mumbai blasts of 1993.
Till we get back with a continuing episode, it's a goodbye for now.